What's good, 99 fam? Hey, Ying here, and I'm so, um, just so excited and honored to be bringing you the message this week. Um, I'm here at our usual meeting place at 1451 San Bruno, and man, it, like just being in this building just brings back so many memories of when we met here and worshiped here together, um, and I can see like, I can just see the worship team up there uh, with Mickey and Jacob on the guitar and Kevin on the drums and Krista and Justin on the keys. Trav Daddy on the violin. Can't forget Trav Daddy. Um, and I can see Jay in the front row right here um, with a little puddle of tears in front of him as he worships. I can see Vanessa somewhere on the right-hand side on the second row wearing some workout clothes. And um, I can see Gabby and Sumi and Nana and Jasmine and Krista and Fig and the rest of our puppy ministry. Dan going all out in the back of the room and Fatai just roaming around with his camera. And um, man, I, I so long for the day that we can all be together in one place again. And I'm reminded of just God's faithfulness to us as a church. You know, the, our formation, our story. When we first met at the Breather, when we found out our name was 99, that we were going to be a home for the rebels and the runaways. And then when we moved into this building, and the day that we announced that we have emerged, right? even now, this empty space, in this empty space, I could feel the presence of God. I could feel the, his heaviness, the heaviness of his glory, his kavod. And I pray that wherever you are right now, wherever you're listening from right now, that that place would also be holy ground. You know, that his presence would be there with you, wherever you are. So let me pray for us. And God, I pray that your spirit would permeate the rooms of my brothers and sisters right now that they would become aware at this moment of your presence there with them, wherever they watch and wherever they listen from, that that place would become holy ground. So God, I commit these next few moments to you as I speak these borrowed words from a borrowed voice with a borrowed heart. God, would you draw us deep and draw us near? And Lord, perhaps... You know, grant us a word that would permeate throughout every season of our lives to live with hope and with a sense of destiny. And God, maybe best of all, plant in us a seed of likeness. That as we tune our ears and every part of our being to you, that we would not leave today without having become a little more like you. You, Jesus in whom I pray all these things. Amen. Yeah. All right, so here we are, uh, September 27th. Um, and we find ourselves nine months, almost 10 into 2020. Um, and we've been sheltered in place for about six months. And we're living in the midst of a pandemic um, that has threatened, or maybe has already 
torn apart the fabric of our lives as we once knew. And on top of that, not only has the normalcy of our personal lives been affected, but we hear all over the news a growing list of names, black men and women who have been murdered and otherwise fallen victim to police brutality. Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Elijah McClain, Jacob Blake. And we're struck with grief over the passing of so many influential people. Legendary sports icon, Kobe Bryant, and a, a former house rep, John Lewis, who was a huge civil rights activist and leader in the 60s. RBG. Supreme Court, Court Justice um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a champion for women's rights and gender equality. We lost actors Chadwick Boseman, um, T'Challa, the Black Panther, King of Wakanda, Anaya Rivera, the Queen Bee of Glee, all among the notable obituaries of this year. And for all of us tuning in from the Bay Area, we woke up one day and the sky was literally on fire with smoke and ashes from all the fires, from all the local fires. It's kind of like we woke up in Blade Runner 2049. And needless to say, 2020 has been such a maelstrom of madness, a vortex of disease and death, sorrow and fear, of questions and confusion. And I don't know about you, but for me, before everything started happening, 2020 started out with such optimism. Like, this was going to be the year, my year. You know, Equinox Trainer, the luxury brand for fitness. I was going to grind through their in-house education system. I was going to train CEOs and presidents and founders of San Francisco-based companies and make a name for myself and end up on some SF's top 10 hottest trainers list. And for you, um, it might, this might have been the year this might have been the year that you finally get in shape and get that body you've always wanted. Or the year that you would find breakthrough in your career and get that promotion that you always thought that you deserved. Or maybe the year that you would find the one, have your dream wedding and start your dream life. Or this would be the year that your church emerges from the shadows of anonymity, opens its doors to the city, and announces that we have arrived. And I'm not saying that none of these things didn't happen. In fact, I'm sure many good things happened, and some of you have graced through 2020 with ease and strength. But I'm sure many of these things didn't happen the way we imagined they would. Rather, some of us lost our jobs. Some of us lost loved ones, lost our sense of stability and routine. And so this year that started out with so much optimism suddenly took a turn for the unpredictable and the unprecedented. And many of us are left in a place of discomfort, of hardship, and of uncertainty. And there's no way we could have foreseen any of what transpired. And I don't know about you, but I, I find myself asking, God, like, don't you care? Don't you see what's happening in the world right now? Where are you? 
And this is kind of what happens when we start anything new, but doesn't this apply so much to our spiritual lives? Like, I mean, remember when you first came to know Jesus? Didn't you suddenly just have this burst of positive energy and, you know, a generally promising outlook on life? Like, with God on your side, nothing could stop you. And at the end of this life was more life. And you experienced his love and his goodness. And you got plugged into a community of people to do life with. But then, out of nowhere, you reached this middle ground in your faith. And in this space, things that are unforeseen and unprecedented happen. Like We go through circumstances that test our faith. And we find that even though we're born into a new life with Christ, we're not immune to the struggles and the pain and the hardship that come with life in general. In my case, when I started walking with God in college, I thought real-life problems didn't apply to me. Um, I thought that when Paul said, I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me, that real-world problems didn't apply to me anymore. And within the first few years of my life, or within the first few years of my life with Jesus, I experienced God in powerful ways, going on missions trips, witnessing supernatural healings, seeing people set free from demonic oppression. And I thought that's what Christian life was about. Like I would be going on missions and I would be fighting demons all my life. That was my expectation. But then reality set in. I graduate from college, and all those, kind of, all those kinds of experiences just went away. And I started facing real-life problems, which I didn't anticipate. Uh, you know, a broken relationship with my parents, financial struggle, heartbreak. And man, I thought Heartbreak Hotel was going to be my permanent residence. You know, a lost sense of purpose. Like, God, don't you care about me anymore? Man, I used to be the star player for your all-galaxy team. But now, I just feel like the forgotten kid who's always picked last for dodgeball. You know, kind of like how Mickey describes himself. Um, and I know I'm not the only one. I mean, the Bible is littered with stories like mine and like yours, whatever your story may be. And you know, pretty much every hero of the Old Testament had to go through this the season, the season of the dark night of the soul, or the wilderness season, or the desert, whatever you want to call it. But that's a sermon series for another time. And, you know, the early church in Acts went through this as well. You know, in one chapter, they see Jesus rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. And they receive the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And they form this beautiful community where everyone was cared for and everything was shared. But then persecution comes and many are killed and thrown into jail. And this community is dispersed, carrying the seeds of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so the life and suffering and purpose of this early church kind of personifies our lives as followers of Jesus, our walk with God 
which begins with so much optimism and positivity. And we kind of see life through rose-colored glasses, but then suddenly we're met with this swirling tempest of hardship and sorrow and pain. So often we ask, God, don't you care about me? Don't you care about what I'm going through? And I'll let this question lead us into the passage today. Um, it's going to be Mark 4, 35 to 41, and then Mark 5, 1. All right, so if you're with me, uh, let's go through this. Jesus calms the storm. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep in a cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then Mark 5.1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. So that's the story. Um, it's one that we've all heard before, Jesus and the storm. And But I, as I read this passage, uh, the question I ask is, why the heck does Jesus rebuke his disciples for being afraid? Like, isn't fear warranted, especially in this situation? I mean, I think it is. Like, bro, you're sleeping and we're dying, right? And have you ever felt that way? Like, God's indifferent to what you're going through? Yeah, uh, I remember I was on a mission trip to India in 2011. I was there for about a month. But for the whole second half of the trip, I was sick. I got some kind of food poisoning, but it was, it was severe. I was bedridden for more than a week with the most intense stomach pain I've ever felt in my life. I lost 17 pounds on that trip, y'all. And in 2011, I was on fire for God. Uh, but during that trip, man, I was, I was done with him. Like, God, you really brought me here to India to die. Like, I came here for you. But you're just going to leave me here to die? So here I was in India, bedridden for more than a week, hoping that somehow, someway, I'd make it home. Needless to say, that at that point, I hated missions. But more on that later. I'm going to circle back to it, and I'm going to do it masterfully. Maybe. Just kidding. I don't know. Uh, but back to the disciples. <laughs> so the disciples are sailing through the storm, and they put the onus on God, on Jesus, to rescue them, which I think is the right move. Um, but then Jesus rebukes them. And why? 
I think Jesus rebukes them because of the question they ask. Do you not care? You know, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that we're in the storm? Don't you care that we're struggling? Don't you care that the water is filling up the boat and we're going to drown? Now, do you see what the disciples are doing right now? Uh, by asking that question? See, they're associating hardship with abandonment. Their question wasn't about if Jesus was able to save them. You know, in fact, they've, they've seen him do a couple miracles before they got on the boat. A little bit of healing here and a little bit of healing there. But rather, if he cared enough to save them, they thought that because they were challenged with, with a particularly difficult situation, threatening circumstance, that Jesus did not care. And I think that's something that we as believers do all the time. Like, we associate hardship with abandonment. We, we question God's love and care for us when we go through extremely challenging circumstances. And we ask him, don't you care about me? Don't you care about my financial situation? Don't you care that my family member is sick? Don't you care that I'm struggling with depression? But as we see from this passage, um, as we're going to see, uh, Jesus does care. He does calm the storm. And the boat does eventually get to the other side. But we'll look into that a little more. So first we see that Jesus cares because he gets on the boat with his disciples. It was his idea to get on the boat in the first place. He had somewhere to be. And he invites his disciples to come along with him for whatever reason. He says to his disciples, let us, let us go to the other side. And that's all the disciples knew. That they were getting on a boat with Jesus, going somewhere. Uh, They didn't know that they would encounter a storm. And sure, some of them were fishermen, and they navigated the Sea of Galilee before. So they knew that there would be some swells, but they didn't anticipate this storm. Not of this caliber. And I think that's a lot like our own walk with God. Most of us have a sense that faith is a journey, that it's a process. It's not like you profess your faith once and that's it. But it's a lifelong process. And like the disciples, God calls us onto the proverbial boat. Let us go to the other side. Let us. See, God is trying to take each and every one of us somewhere. And the journey might look different for all of us, but the constant is God. He calls us to go with him, to be with him, And just like the disciples, we'll encounter storms that we cannot anticipate and cannot get through on our own. It's during those times that we have to remember who's on the boat with us. It's him. He who has called you is on the boat with you, even as you sail through all of life's tempest. So take heart, lay hold of hope, because if he has called you onto the boat, no matter what you must sail through, He's on the boat with you. And we might not always know where we are going or what we'll encounter when he says to us, 
arise, my beloved, my fair one, and come away. But we know who we're going with, and that makes all the difference. Who we're on the boat with. And to illustrate this, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, Like some of you guys know that I lead CG for this church. And let me tell you, um, the experience of leading CG at 99 has been so smooth. And that's not always the case everywhere. Um, And it's because every Sunday, Mickey and Krista will send out this template to all the CG leaders to let us know what we'll be doing that week. So every CG is so well prepared for. And that's because Mickey and Krista are so good at making sure that all the leaders are equipped for success. So that, man, that makes all the difference to have Mickey and Krista there with me. It's because they care. But not, not so long ago, and this was before 99 was a thing, right? I had the worst, the worst, and the most traumatic CG experience ever. So my pastors at the time, for I won't name, all right, they gave me a call, right? And they're all like, hey, Ying, uh, we think you're ready. Um, you know, you've grown so much these past seasons, and we think you're ready to lead CG. And because I love them, I agreed to it. But it was, like, it was like one week before our first CG, and these very pastors, whom I love, out of nowhere announced that they were actually leaving the church. You know, they got to do their own thing, going off to plant their own church, right? And, um, whew. So that season was just a mess. I mean, there were no templates, no guidelines on how to lead, no meetings to talk about it. Like, we went in blind every week, and I felt so abandoned, so abandoned by my pastor. And every week, it was like no one, no one wanted to talk about the sermon. It was like, dude, where did Mickey and Krista, uh, I mean, these unnamed pastors go? Are they really going to go off and do their own thing? You know, that was just every week. And, you know, I, I vowed that season never to do CG again. Right? And of course, that didn't age well. And, uh, you know, over the passage of time, I kept in relationship with, with said pastors. And uh, the next time they asked me, I agreed to lead CG because I love them. <laughs> I love you guys. Hearts here, hearts here. Um, but, you know, they're, they're there with me this time. And that makes. That makes such a difference, you know. And I love leading CG when they're there with me. And all this to say, what matters is who is on the boat with us. You know? So we see that, yes, Jesus does care. Because he is the one who is with us. And he planned this boat ride of an adventure in the first place. And secondly, we see that Jesus cared because he does, in fact, calm the storm. He quiets it. He tells the waves to be still, and they are still. Now, disciples, like I said before, they've seen Jesus perform miracles before. But this, man, this was a first, commanding the wind and the waves. And their response to this was awe. And according to Strong's Concordance, 
the root word for fear in verse 41 can also be translated to be filled with awe. See, first they were terrified by the magnitude of the storm, but then they are awestruck by the one who quiets it. So the disciples on the boat saw Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And he showed them that he was greater than the situation that they were in. He was greater than their circumstance. He was greater than the storm. And how much would that do for our faith to know that God is greater than the situation that we are in? He's greater than our financial struggles. He's greater than our sorrow and our grief. And our, he's greater than our unemployment, greater than our depression. And I believe that it's in the hardest and most painful circumstances that God reveals himself to us in ways that we've never experienced before. See, this was such a critical point for the disciples in their understanding of who Jesus was. You know, at, at one moment, you know, they, they see his humanity. Right? They find him asleep, resting from a long and full day of ministry. But then the next, they see his divine nature in commanding the wind and the waves to be still. And so whatever painful or difficult situation that you're going through, you'll be better for it once you find God in it. In the words of Apostle Paul, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And for us, it's no different. Just knowing Jesus is a treasure in itself. Just knowing him more is worth the experience of loss of other things. Just to know that he is greater than whatever circumstance we're going through, whatever storm in life we might have to navigate through. And that brings us to our last point, probably the most important one. Uh, we see that Jesus cares because the boat reaches the other side. We see that in Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And remember, the whole reason for this boat ride was to get to the other side. He tells his disciples, let us go to the other side. And see, encountering the storm and calming it was not the sole purpose of the boat ride. It was a necessity, for sure, to reach the other shore. But it wasn't the purpose. The purpose was always to get to the other side. So what waited on the other side of the sea that Jesus and his disciples sailed through the storm for? Well, in Mark 5, Right, they touch the shore, and they're immediately met with a man with a legion of unclean spirits. 
And this is a story where Jesus sends all these spirits and all these demons into a herd of pigs and they run off the cliff and into the water and they all drown. And then he goes off to raise a child from the dead. And on the way there, he, a woman with a disease touches his garments and is healed. So we see miracle after miracle after miracle. And then he gives his disciples the authority to do, to do the same, you know, to heal, to cast out demons, to proclaim the gospel or to pro- proclaim the kingdom. And then it's more miracles after miracles after miracles. See, this whole episode with the boat and the storm was such a critical point for the disciples. Before they got on the boat, they saw Jesus do a few. But it was mostly following him around as he taught, as he spoke, as he gave sermons. They thought that they were just following a teacher, a rabbi, which was a part of their custom. But it wasn't until they sailed through the storm and arrived on the other side of the sea that they began to see Jesus for who he really was, the Messiah. On the other side, they saw the kingdom of God being revealed in this man, Jesus. All of a sudden, they began to see the culmination of their heritage unfolding. And you have to remember That Israel's entire heritage was built on the identity that they were God's chosen people. That he would settle them in their own land and be their God. But before the time of Jesus, you know, after the last prophets, there was an interim period of 400 years in which God did not speak to them, did not speak to his people. There was no prophet, no word. Just 400 years of silence. And on top of that, Their people are dispersed, and their homeland is now under Roman occupation. And at this time, they had no land. They had no identity. All they had were ancient texts and traditions, faint whispers of a future, and a fading promise. Like, God, don't you care, God? Aren't we your chosen people? Don't you care that we've been driven out of our homeland? And the land that you've given us is now under Roman rule. And don't you ever feel like that sometimes? Like you're going through seasons where God seems silent. And seasons where you feel like your very identity has been stripped. And when I was in college, when I started walking with God, You know, I was pretty much immediately asked to serve as a student leader at my church. And being a fairly new believer, I I really didn't know what I had to offer. You know, every other leader, they were good at praying, or they were good at teaching the Bible, or they were good at preaching, or they were good at leading worship, or at the very least they could play play an instrument. But I couldn't do any of that. But what I found was this. I was very good at sitting with people, listening to their problems, crying with them when they were hurting. And that surprised a lot of people. You know, this this level of empathy that I showed by being able to just sit there and cry with them in their pain. And that let them know that they were seen and known and felt, which brought so much healing. And when I knew that I had that kind of heart, I didn't care about having the millions of other gifts that other people had. 
because I knew that at its best, my fragile but loving and empathetic heart was made me, was what made me my daddy's son. But not too long ago, and without going into much detail, I went through the season of heartbreak. And suddenly, this heart that used to flow so freely with love and joy and tenderness was suddenly just filled with grief and pain. It was like my heart was put into a blender and someone pressed the pure ray button and I'm left with, like, you know, this, this red mush. And that was a crisis for me because not only did I feel emotional pain, but I felt like the best part of me, my heart, the very thing that made me most like Christ was damaged. Like my whole being was damaged and broken. I just didn't feel like ying anymore. I'm supposed to be beast mode with a tender heart, not a broken heart. Like, God, don't you care that the best part of me is gone? And like my heart was lost, and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to recover it. And I'm better, but I'm better now. Um, and, you know, I'm still, still recovering it. You know, I'm still trying to tell myself, you're Ying, Aristea Mo, son of the star maker, heartbeat of the rising tide, embers of the ethereal flame, all galaxy first team. You know, I'm just trying to re- recover my identity. Right? But yeah, I, I don't know how the healing process really went. I haven't unpacked that yet. But I really told this story to illustrate what Israel was going through at the time of Jesus and his disciples. You know, the very thing that made them a people, namely the presence of God among them, was so far removed. Their land taken, their identity stripped. God has been silent. Imagine that, 400 years. 400 years of silence. But then these chosen disciples go on this boat ride through the storm with Jesus. And on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, these disciples suddenly began to see a kingdom being revealed. Their entire heritage and destiny as a people began to unfold right before their eyes. And they had no clue what was next. They had no clue. Because in a couple of weeks' time, Jesus was going to be handed over to be crucified. And after three days, he was going to rise again and ascend to heaven. And guess what? And guess what, Peter? Guess what, James and John and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and the rest of you? The mantle of establishing God's kingdom here on earth is going to fall upon you. See, on the other side of the sea, on the far side of the sea, is destiny. And Jesus sails with his disciples through the storm so that they could begin to see their destiny unfold. And uh, so as I land this plane, I'm going to take us back to my India story. So there I am, right, bedridden with the most intense stomach pain in my life, uh, a, mi- a mix of food poisoning, and, and I'm constipated too. And I'm like 90% sure I was going to die. Right? And I'm in pain, and I'm, I'm so angry with God 
Like, in my mind, I went on this mission trip to India to serve him. Like, yo, I came here for you. And don't you care that I'm in pain? And I felt like he abandoned me and left me to die. And at that point, I was thinking, dude, I'm never going on missions again. So I'm cursing and I'm complaining to him and accusing him for not loving and not caring for me. And this goes on for about five days or so. You know, this, this little tantrum that I have. And then he speaks to me. You know, Yang, quiet. Just shut up. Shut up and be still. And he says, Ying, I'm doing something great here and incredible here in India. I'm establishing my kingdom here. And I brought you here because I wanted you with me. Ying, I wanted you here with me. You know, and at the sound of his voice, my inner turmoil started becoming calm. And I respond to him quietly. And God, I, I just want to finish this trip strong. I just, I just want to know that I served you well. And he says to me, Yang, you know, this, like this trip was never about you serving me. In fact, your whole life is not about how well you served me. I brought you here so that you might come to know me, to know my greatness among the nations, to know my greatness in your life. And by those words, every trace of this inner storm dissipated. And I was still in the most intense physical pain of my life. And that continued for another five days or so. But my soul was at peace. Inwardly, I was satisfied. And for the first time, I felt whole, wholly loved and cared for and valued. That God wanted me. That God wanted me with him. And I told God, man, I, I want this forever. Like, this is wholly all I want. To be with you, to be with you on some adventure and watching you as you establish your kingdom here on earth. Right? And that, that trip to India, like during that trip, you know, I received my missional calling. I received a missional calling over my life. And on the other side of my pain, a new part of my destiny was unveiled. This desire and call for missions to make Jesus known among the nations. And to this day, I'm walking in it. And God has a destiny for all of us. There is another side to your hardship. There is another side to your difficult circumstance and hopeless situation and pain. Heck, there's another side to your 2020. It's called destiny. And I really believe that there are parts of your destiny that can only be unveiled when you go through the crucible. It's, all, it's in those places, those storms in your life, the wilderness seasons that you come to know the one who has called you to your destiny in the first place. 
It's in those storms that we come to know the one who is with us, the one who is bigger than our circumstances, the one who sees us through to the other side. And there are countless stories in the Bible about the heroes of faith who once stood in the place that you stand now. They'll tell you stories of how within this place, within the most difficult times of their lives, they saw the heavens open. They saw angels ascending and descending upon a ladder that stretched from earth to heaven. And they spoke with bushes that burned but were not consumed by the fire. And how they had wrestling matches with God with God all through the night until he blessed them. It was in the wilderness that they ate manna that came from heaven like rain and quenched their thirst on water that inexplicably flowed from dry rock. There they saw dry land to set their feet upon as the waters in front of them parted from, to their right and to their left. There in their difficulties, in their storms. They received new names. They received new identities. They found new purpose and were thrust into destinies that could not have been unveiled in any other place. So if you're going through it right now, take heart, lay hold of hope because the hardship and pain that you stand on today is the space between glory and a greater degree of glory. So don't lose hope. There's no precedent in our faith for losing hope. When he says to you, let us go, it is always to the other side. And he cares enough to see us through and to unveil the destiny that is before us. Amen. Uh, yeah, so that's it for me today. Uh, let me just close us in prayer real quickly. Uh, and God, I, man, I thank you for letting yourself be known in all of our lives, for being there for us from the start, uh, for showing us that you are bigger than our circumstances for showing us that we have a purpose and destiny in front of us and God I pray um, for all of us who are in this season where everything in life just seems like a storm I pray for the grace for them to find you uh, to see you for who you really are the Messiah the Savior the one who is establishing the his kingdom here on earth. And God, uh, I pray for the grace to lead them through those seasons uh, to find that there is a harvest of laughter and joy and of goodness after the season of sowing in hardship and in tears. Yeah, God, uh, I just pray for the remainder of 2020, God. And, man, um, I just declare that you are in control, that 2020 is just a time, a date in the, this continuum uh, 
of your redemptive plan for the world that in the end, you make all things good. You bring all things back to yourself. Um, yeah, and that all things belong to you. So yeah, we, we commit this, the rest of this day, the rest of 2020 to you. And we open our eyes to see your goodness and your grace over this year. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.